Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Stephen H. Garcia, erotic artist. Hi, Stephen. Hi, how's it going? Good, and I should probably clarify that that it is not just the artist, but also primarily the art that is erotic. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's mostly the art. <laughs> yeah, I, and I purchased one of your 2016 wall calendars at Gamer X or GX3 just a week or two ago out in San Jose, California, and have to say I I'd never been to an event like GX3 before, and I've never seen art like yours before. So you really stood out and were an obvious candidate for this podcast. Thank you for coming on. Oh uh, no problem. I'm still having like withdrawals from not being at Gamer X anymore. <laughs> Had you been to the event before? Yeah, I've, uh, this is my second time. Uh, I think last last year it was in San Francisco, and they moved it to San Jose this year. Which, for those of us who are not in, on the West Coast, those don't seem like very different places. It's all part of the greater Bay Area, isn't it? Yeah, except for like everything in San Francisco is crazy expensive. Oh, so was this a good move then? Yeah, for I think for like, everyone, because I, I remember staying at the hotel last year, and I was like, I had to save up money for like a couple months for the hotel room. Oh gosh, that is not very accessible, which is sort of core to GX3's tenants. Yeah, which like when you're doing art, you don't make like all kinds of crazy money, so it's like I had to like penny pinch everything. <laughs> yeah, you really have to weigh the cost and the benefits and decide if it's worth your time and your money to attend this event. Yeah, it, it worked out re- good. It was it was a really good event and um all the people there were nice, and it was great to be like among other like queer gamers. So it was it was awesome. Yeah, I had never been to GX before. I am totally glad I flew out there from Boston. I met up with a lot of peeps, uh, people I'd met online. Actually, there was a surprisingly large Boston contingent. I saw a lot of people I knew from back home. Nice. Yeah, and you had a vendor booth in the corner. Did you have time to get away from your booth and actually see the rest of the convention? Uh, a couple times. The first day I was there by myself, and then. Um... I didn't get to do anything, uh, but on, on Saturday and Sunday, I had a my friend was my assistant, so I got to like leave a couple times. So it was great to see everything. I ended up spending like a lot of the money that I made there. What sort of things did you spend your money on? It's just little like knickknacks and um, other artwork from other pe- other artists there. But you're a starving artist. How are you going to pay your rent with T-shirts? Right. <laughs> I made I made a good amount to have like a spending allowance at that event. <laughs> Unfortunately, art is not your full-time job. Is that correct? Uh, no. I, it's it's getting there, though. It's getting there. Uh, I do a lot of freelance graphic design, and then I'm also part of a podcast called Game On. And I also work a uh, part-time retail job. And you also have a Patreon, correct? Yes. Uh, Patreon's pretty new, too. So I'm, I'm getting that going, too. Cool. And remind us the address for that Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Stephen H. Garcia. So that's all, all one word. Yeah, that's pretty much your brand, Stephen H. Garcia. It's pretty easy to yeah. find you on, on Weebly or Twitter or whatever just using that handle. Yeah, uh, um, I'm mostly on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and Tumblr. I, I keep forgetting to, do, to check the, the Twitter. <laughs> cool, and I'll put links to all those in the show notes. Oh, nice. Uh, but let's actually step back a little bit and talk about how you got into art. I understand that you were born in Chicago, moved to California to study graphic design and multimedia. Did you have any particular like ambitions or goals about how you want to apply yourself in that medium? Well, when I was in college, I wanted to either do comic books or video games. Um, and then uh, 
when I started doing multimedia, the they added in animation. So I started doing a little bit of that, but then I kind of figured out that I didn't like doing animation. <laughs> but I got really good at doing like the, the pinup artwork, and then I started focusing on that. I assume that knowing animation is probably pretty central to being a video game artist. I think so. Well, I've never worked on video games, but uh, I, I'm kind of uh, been thinking about doing that pretty soon too. So you said you got into pinup. Is pinup sort of its own genre, its own art form? I think so. it's it's kind of like 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 you know like the, the 1950s girl pin the uh, they're like sexy poses and. Uh, uh, they they're like writing missiles and stuff. They're doing all kinds of fun, sexy poses. I kind of do that, but like you know, with guys. So for people who may not be familiar with uh, pinups, that'd be like the notorious Betty Page, for example. Yeah, that yeah, that's perfect. Like the Betty Page arts and stuff, kind of like that. But I just kind of put it on more of a modern twist, uh, and with guys. And what sort of media do you work in? I mean, I'm not artistically trained, so I really don't know what the words are to ask this question, but like, I'm familiar with terms like acrylics and watercolor. W- what is your medium? Uh, right now, I do most, like 90% of my artwork is done on Photoshop. And are you using some sort of a, a graphics tablet, like a Koala pad or something? Yeah, it's, it's called a Wacom tablet. Oh, sure. Okay, I've heard that. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I used to do everything with a mouse, and then I got a tablet and changed my world. <laughs> is everything done right in Photoshop? Is that the extent of your workflow? Uh, I do, yeah, I do mostly in Photoshop, and sometimes I do things uh, like on paper with uh, Copic, Copic markers, and sometimes I'll do like color pastels. But ninety percent of the time, I, it's Photoshop. Or once you have the finished drawing, what decisions are made about how to exhibit it or manifest it afterward? Like when you are drawing it, or do you already have in mind, okay, this is going to be a calendar, this is going to be a digital wallpaper, etc.? Well, most of the time I just, I make everything kind of the same size. So it, they're, they're automatically going to be made to be prints when I go do art shows. And then the, the same size I use for like, uh, to, to show them off on Instagram and on my website. Uh, so most of the time it's just for our art prints. And uh, they also get become available on my website to get either they can either become like a a bag or a phone case or whatever I could fit on my, that my, that image onto whatever product I need. Yeah, I'm looking at your Society Six web store right now, and I see you have throw pillows, iPod cases, mugs, T-shirts, yeah. <laughs> throw blankets. Wow! So is this? Uh, again, I'm sorry if I should have looked this up before, but Society6, is that anything like Cafe Press where you can basically just make anything based on what you upload? Yeah, I find it uh, like the like Society6 is a bit more affordable than Cafe Press, and some of the qual- quality is better. Cafe Press has more options, but I feel like some of the, the stuff isn't the best quality. Yeah, I think that Cafe Press, part of its appeal is that anybody can upload anything, but one of the downsides is that anybody can upload anything. Yeah. Uh, Society6 looks like it's aimed a little bit more at artists. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, more artsy, uh, and the printing is pretty great. And I've had no complaints about it like from any of my customers. Yeah, one of the challenges I found in my brief ventures into Cafe Press was that their baseline cost for a product is so high that for me to make any profit on a sale, I'd have to add this markup that basically put it out of my customer's reach. Have you had any issues like that with Society6? Not really. Um, their, their cost is reasonable. And that's kind of the reason why I stopped using Cafe Press and, and Zazzle, because like, the cost is so high. 
for everything that I was, I was like, I'm never going to buy any of these products at th- this price. So I found that Society6 has pretty affordable prices. Yeah, $18 starting for a tote bag, 20 for a throw pillow. That seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, the pillows are kind of cool because you could either pick um, indoor or outdoor pillows. What's the difference? One of them is like more weatherproofed. Oh, okay. So that's probably where the price range comes in. The more expensive ones are outdoors. Yeah. Nice. What would you say are some of your most popular products? I, I don't know if you see it on there, but there's a a pinup of a, a Poseidon. It's like a sexy version of Poseidon that I've done. Uh, and it's modeled after uh, one of my model friends. So that one sells like crazy. <laughs> oh, so these are actually based on real people. Uh, some of them are models and some of them are just, just drawings. Um, and some of them are just based off like the actors from the movies and stuff. So when you're drawing these, do you have references available? Like, are, do you have stills from the movies pulled up for reference? Yeah, uh, I always find it helpful to have like all the references that you need to get that that face to look just right. Um, and then when you get it just right, people like they notice it and they like they want to like close to it. I guess. <laughs> I imagine it's. Very different drawing from a movie still versus drawing off a living 3D model in your apartment. Yeah, <laughs> it gets kind of tricky, but it's I usually have a pretty good idea when I want to draw like beforehand, so it, it works out either way. And do you mostly recruit from your own social circles for your models? Yeah, usually <laughs> I sometimes use either like Grinder or or Scruff, like whatever those like hookup apps, but I just find them people to model instead. Oh, that's interesting. I saw some of those advertised in the GX3 program. I think Grinder was one, and there was another called Hornet. Yeah, there's Hornet, and there's uh, Scruff, and I think there's another one, uh, Jacked. Uh, it kind of depends on which area you're in. Like some, some of them are better in different areas, and then it kind of depends on what kind of guys you like. So that, that kind of like, you would pick from that to see like which models would be better, <laughs> I guess. In the context of your artwork, what does it mean by what kind of guys you like? Um, like if I'm looking for like someone that's more like swimmer build or some or like more twink, I guess I would go for like a uh, grinder. And if I'm looking for like a more muscular like bear type guy, I'll go on scrub. Oh, interesting! I didn't realize that they had s- such different demographics. Yes, there's there's a there's a lot of different subgroups in there. <laughs> I mean, that is not a world I have had experience with, for better or for worse. I've used stuff like Match.com and OkCupid. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to try Grinder and the like. Oh, okay. Once you uh, were in college and you settled on the pinup medium or the pinup style, was it always a one-to-one that you were uh, producing erotic art, especially featuring men? Like, was that just immediately what you gravitated toward or is that something that sort of developed over time as you found your niche yeah that was that was kind of a slow build because uh i did because i do a lot of graphic design stuff so that took up a lot of my time and then i started doing like uh like swimsuit like underwear model type drawings um and then those ended up being really popular and then i thought about just since i'm a big uh comic book nerd and gamer that i was like maybe i should throw in some comic influence um that really took off and uh there's a couple other artists that do that same thing and i was all like oh this really works and then i just kept going with it and i really love doing it it's super fun what is it that you like about it it's it's fun seeing like the superheroes that you love out there uh what they would look like if they're in their their sexy time <laughs> their sexy time i love that yeah <laughs> 
I mean, that's certainly not a side of the superheroes that we see often, especially on the big screen. Like we see uh, some romantic dialogue and drama, such as between Black Widow and Dr. Bruce Banner, but there's not really much beyond that. Yeah, no, there's no, nothing about like their, what they do on their off times type stuff. <laughs> I mean, I can understand why that's true in cinema, especially since so many of these movies are attempting to be family-friendly. I haven't read comic books, unfortunately, in about a decade. Is it any different there? I mean, obviously, the female characters are drawn a certain way, but do we like? Is there any element of truth in your art as far as like what their lives are like? In comics now, I, it kind of depends on like which series you're reading, because some of them are more geared towards adults, and some of them are more family friendly. Like your standard Marvel is very friendly, family friendly, but there's some certain. Uh, groups are a lot like darker and you could see like there's more to their behind the scenes stuff and their sexual chemistry and some of that stuff is i i like to bring that into uh my art but with the the whole erotic twist to it what is the representation of lgbt characters like in comic books when i was reading comics i remember there was one minor character in one minor story arc in Green Lantern when Kyle Rayner was the Green Lantern featuring a gay character and the editors got a lot of flack for it or at least I saw a lot of letters to the editor complaining about it. Is there any more or better representation that you're aware of in modern comics? Oh, there's a lot more now. The comics are getting pretty gay now. <laughs> there's in the there's a team called the New Avengers. And they have a, a, a gay couple called Wiccan and Hulkling. Um, Wiccan is kind of like the son of the Scarlet Witch. And Hulkling is kind of like a, a younger Hulk, but he's more of a shapeshifter type character. Uh, and they're a full-on couple in the, the series. Uh, they came from a comic before that called the Young Avengers. So they were like the Teen Titans type Avengers group. Um, and there's a couple X-Men characters that are are full on gay too. Yeah, I'm just doing a, I just did a quick Google search and I see that Hulkling and Wiccan actually shared their first kiss in the comic book almost four years ago now. Yeah. Wow, I'm uh, behind and, in the times. And X Men they had a, a gay wedding on a cover um a couple of years ago too and it was really cool. Are you familiar with what the feedback to that might have been? Is that something that you can share with me? Um I don't remember hearing anything bad about it. It was more like uh it was very, everyone was very excited about it. And it, was, it was a very beautiful cover. It was two guys in the middle of New York getting married, and they were all surrounded by like the entire cast of X Men. It was a really beautiful cover. Yeah, I'm trying to Google that right now, and that, that seems to also have been about a few years ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh, here we go. It was in Astonishing X Men back in 2012, and it was Alpha Flight and North Star. Uh, North Star. Um, well, North Star is from Alpha Flight. I forgot what his boyfriend was named, but he the boyfriend was just uh he was human and not a mutant. Oh, okay. So it was interracial as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Cool. Is the comic book medium something you'd want to work in? Is like, is that one of your goals? Uh, yes. I am kind of working on a story right now, but I keep getting sidetracked by other projects. Um, it's it's a lot it's a lot of work when I'm working I'm working with it with another person and uh, just two people it's kind of like a lot of work to do when you have like full time jobs and projects going on at the same time yeah that's one of the great things about Patreon is that the more your Patreon supports you the fewer side projects you have to take in order to support your actual art 
yeah, I'm. That's kind of my main goal. It's like I need to get to a point where I could just do my art like 100% of the time, so then I could start working on my comic and other side projects that I want to do. Yeah, because sometimes when people talk about getting into comics, they think, oh, you want to work for DC or Marvel. But there's actually a really thriving indie comic scene, and you don't have to be associated with a big label in order to produce a successful comic. Yeah, and uh, a lot of web comics are doing really great, too. So you don't even have to go into printing. You could just go right into like web and then have that uploaded to whatever app you read comics on if you do digital comics. Right, and that online medium also gives you the opportunity to collect those into print anthologies and market those at trade fairs and vendor shows and the like? Yeah. Yeah, I had a guest on another podcast I do. She's the artist and he's the writer of Strong Female Protagonist, which is one of my favorite webcomics. Do you read that one? I haven't heard of it, but I want to check it out now. Yeah, it's really great. It, it's by Molly Ostertag and Brennan Lee Mulligan. And coincidentally, Molly was actually at GamerX3. Oh, nice. Yeah, she wasn't on a panel. She didn't have a booth. I was just looking around the audience, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Molly. <laughs> Hi, Molly. So that <laughs> that's was awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. There was a lot of people in the crowd that I was very surprised. I'm like, oh, my God, are you just, just hanging out here? <laughs> yeah, it's really a who's who. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just by fact of being at GamerX3, you're pretty awesome. <laughs> so your art, uh, I'm curious about some of the the characters. Like, how do you... You're a big fan of comic books, uh, video games, superhero movies, and the like. How do you decide who you're going to represent in your next piece of art? Oh, my God. That's, like, the hardest thing. Because <laughs> I like all of them, and it's like, I need to do this one, then I need to do this one. And every time I'm drawing one, I'm all like, I need to do these other two drawings. And it's kind of like trying to make a list and then going through the list slowly. <laughs> so do you have a list? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty long. <laughs> and I kind of I try to go with, like when games come on, when movies come out. So then like when those characters are popular, I'll have like that image to go with it. Okay. So you're trying to anticipate demand. Yeah. So like, if you, if you notice in the calendar, um, there's an order to which they, I put them in and they come out kind of like when the movies come out. So when you're looking at like February, it's uh, Deadpool and March, it's like Batman and Superman and so on. Oh, I get it. That's really clever. I didn't, I didn't thought of it that way. <laughs> I think uh, January was like a Star Wars Star Wars one because there's nothing really going on in January, so I just added Star Wars. Do you ever hold back on art that you've completed and wait to release it in order to coincide with some sort of event like that? Uh, not really. <laughs> I just get really excited about completing an image, and I usually post it online pretty much right away. Nice. I take it <laughs> from some of your work that you're also a fan of the TV shows Flash and Arrow? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just finished watching season one of The Flash. I'm a little bit behind. I haven't started season two yet, but holy cow, is that a good show? It's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> what do you, What do you like about it? Because it's so easy to screw up comic books. I mean, they 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 did such a good job of like all the ridiculous things that happen in comics. Like they did, but they made it like fun and happy, and their jokes to go with it. <laughs> yeah, like how they're always naming the villains. Yeah. Cisco always comes up with the names. I know. There's like some sort of a meta awareness there. <laughs> uh, still, though, I mean, for better or worse, I don't watch Arrow, but on Flash, it's still a, a pretty straight show. Yeah. Does that get in the way of its enjoyment at all? Not really. It's it, it's just, uh, I'm happy to see superheroes on TV no matter what. I have some friends who feel that you shouldn't mess with the characters. If they were written a certain way, they should be portrayed a certain way. And 
I understand where he's coming from, but a lot of these comic book characters were created, you know, 50 to 80 years ago, which was a very different time and place. And when you're adapting them to a modern medium and a modern audience, I think some amount of flexibility is not only okay, it's expected. Yeah. I like it. Like you have to like modernize these characters or else they're not going to grow in their own ways. Uh, You're just going to end up telling the same stories over and over and over again. And, you know, that's going to get old really fast. Right. Like one of the reasons people don't like Superman, uh, and there are such people, I don't know why. I mean, I think Superman's amazing, but he's basically a big Boy Scout historically. You know, and, yeah. and, that, and that can be pretty boring. He has every superpower and he always does the right thing. And so the new Superman, which I actually really disliked, uh, I nonetheless have to acknowledge that they made it dark and complex and morally ambiguous. And that is a take on the character I've not seen before. Yeah, there's there's been like I, I kind of feel like he's to me he's kind of boring, but there, I do enjoy watching Superman do his thing. Uh, but there are versions of Superman that are pretty interesting. Like there's one, uh, it was an animated movie called uh, Justice League God and Monsters. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, and that one had like a what if Superman landed in Mexico and raised by a Mexican family and then was an immigrant in the United States type of thing. And he was a lot darker, but but it was totally different. But it was cool to see like that that big change in Superman. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really clever way to use it to tell a modern story. Kind of like the original Star Trek was grappling with the issues that were relevant to the culture of the '60s. You know, you can do that with other media and other characters as well. Yeah, and one of the big issues we've had in our culture lately is. Uh, body type representation and gender representation in a lot of media, especially video games, which is what this podcast is often about. Uh, you know, there's a question of can women be sexy? Is that okay? Like dead or alive beach volleyball might be a little exploitative. I find that game so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Have you played those games? Like I, I played dead or alive, but then like the whole volleyball thing, I'm like, I don't understand the point of that. Why did you even make that? <laughs> I've had people tell me that it's actually a really good volleyball game if you can just get past the cosmetics. <laughs> and, and, and these are women and feminists who are telling me this. That's funny. I'm, I'm still like, well, you lost me at volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't mind all these exploitative women when they're bouncing around in a fighting game, but volleyball, that's a little much. <laughs> I'm like, huh, okay, I should just watch SportsCenter, I guess. <laughs> Well, I believe Tecmo just announced that they're not bringing the third Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball to the Xbox One in the United States. It's going to be Japan only. I heard that. I, I heard something kind of funny, too, is like um, that the Beach Volleyball has male characters, too, and they're like just as scandally dressed as the girls or something. Oh, I did not know that. And I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> Th- that sounds a lot more balanced. Well, either, either it's the volleyball one or the actual fighting game, because you could get uh, bikinis for the girls, but you could also get bikini for the guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. I was like, well, if it's balanced, then I'm kind of okay with it. But if it's one-sided, then, you know, like, it's kind of meh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of different representations of women in games. Another popular example is Bayonetta. Uh, some people say that's exploitative. Other people say it's empowering. And it's true that it's okay for women to be sexy. But I think the problem is that a lot of sexy women in video games are being created by men for men i love bayonetta <laughs> <laughs> have you played both of them i i played one and i i almost bought a wii u just so i could play part two but i'm like 
I can't buy a system just for one game. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. It's called a killer app. You just got to get it. But then I just saw that she's in Smash Brothers now, so I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the representation of Bayonetta? Is that an empowered woman? Oh, totally. Like The, the thing that I like about her is that she's fully clothed the whole time, and she's just talking all like mad shit like the whole time. <laughs> she is not somebody you want to cross. No. <laughs> and she's she's like really she has like a really wicked sassy sense of humor throughout the whole game. So it's it's just fun hearing her talking like what she's going to say next. So a character like that can certainly be interpreted a couple of different ways. Uh you've offered us out yours and I've heard from other people, you know, their take on it. And I, so I'm trying to figure out how your art, for example, fits into this dialogue. For example, it could very easy. I mean, your characters are obviously very sexy. That is why it's called erotica. But it could also be said that they're exploitative. That you're, you know, even objectifying these male characters. So, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay, he admits it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm doing with to the guys what happens to the girls all the time. So, is that okay? Is it okay to do to men what shouldn't be done to women? Well, it's more like. This is what is happening to women, but like I'm, I'm empowering in it, but in the the male side of the the coin. How is your art empowering? Uh, it's just like showing off like the beauty of the body. Like these are heroes, and like all the beauty that they have to give. Um, just like not shying away. It's uh, it's like um I don't know. I I've been drawing these for a while, and it's just really cool for me to like express these feelings through heroes like this is what i want to see and so i'm doing it yeah because we're accustomed to seeing a certain kind of power from these characters yeah that power is often physical you know such as super speed or super strength and you're showing off another side of their physical power that it's traditionally overlooked yeah Hmm. and sometimes it's it brings in a like a little bit of vulnerability to them too because they're they're showing off everything, so there's nothing to hide. That's interesting. A lot of superheroes wear costumes and masks, and you are quite literally taking those off. Yeah. Hmm. Sometimes they'll just wear the mask. Oh, that's interesting. Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> so a lot of these characters that you're drawing, as far as which canon you want to follow, because there are so many different versions of Superman, but traditionally, for example, Superman is a rather heteronormative character. In your art, he may not necessarily be. Do you ever get any feedback from people who are saying, like, that's not what Superman's all about, that's not canon, that you're corrupting our favorite superhero? I don't really get that, but there, I always get like, oh, my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fun just to see that. <laughs> you almost make it sound like you're trolling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like accidental trolling, like I didn't mean to, but it's like the outcome. <laughs> But it is nonetheless true that the video game community, while can be very encouraging and supportive, as we both experienced at GamerX, it can also be very toxic. Does your art incite any of that? I have not really gotten any of that, because um, I, I show off my art to like the mostly the queer audience, so they kind of get it. And I don't really, um, I guess I don't really post like my artwork in like hetero heavy like forums and stuff because i i know that that's gonna get like that shit right away and I, I don't need to deal with that like if you like it you like it if you don't you don't type of thing but it's art you you could you could take it how it is 
So your art is something that people really need to go looking for, and the people who wouldn't like it wouldn't go looking for it. Yeah, I, I usually put like the, the the tags, so it's like if you know what you're looking for, you'll you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> and how do people find your art? Do you mostly get discovered through events like GX3? I do GX3. I do a lot of the gay prides in different cities. Um, I do a couple of comic cons with uh, Prism Comics. They're like a queer comics collective. What was the name of that group? Uh, Prism Comics. Okay. Um, they're kind of like a hub where a bunch of queer creators can like sell or post their comics through. Um, and they 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 do like all kinds of different comic cons and stuff. And they actually do a a grants every year for uh, new queer comics or novels and stuff like that. So they're they're a really great company for um, like up and coming queer uh, creators. So what sort of collaborations are possible with Prism? With Prism, do they uh, distribute or promote your work, or do they provide you with grants? Uh, they have a grant they do every year, so that's where the the contest is for. So they they always have like a search for like a new artist, or um, you could apply to for the grant. Um, I keep forgetting when it is. It's usually, I think, around September is when they announce the winners and stuff. But all that information is on their website. So they actually are running a Kickstarter right now. It ends at noon on Christmas Eve, which at the time that this podcast airs is tomorrow. They are just $4,000 short of their $18,000 goal. This is an anthology they're putting together of... Uh, over 40 LGBTQAI creators. It's called Alphabet. Oh, yes. Yes, they were telling me about that. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're working hard on getting that out. Um, there's supposed to be a lot of really good stuff in, in that Alphabet book. Excellent. I will definitely throw my dime behind that. Cool. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Oh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, there was a, another comic book company at GamerX. They were at the very opposite end of the hall from you, and they were also at PAX East. I'd seen them there before. Oh, uh, Northwest Press? That's exactly. Yeah, they're awesome, too. <laughs> they, they work together with uh, Prism a lot. Yeah, I can see that. I can imagine. Uh, I think I may have come across that collaboration before. Your 2016 calendar just came out, and is what attracted me to your booth at GamerX, that and the Harley Quinn art. Uh, so obviously your calendar is something you're pushing right now as well as your Patreon. What are some other big projects? The new year is right around the corner. What do you have on your agenda? Um, okay, so I, I'm going to start doing my calendar, my next year my next next year calendar a lot earlier. And I'm going to do like a Greek, uh, like a sexy Greek god theme. And I think I'm going to actually make that into like a, a little coffee table book too. So there'll be like a calendar and a little book. And um, I'm kind of working on like a little like sexy Star Wars collection right now. <laughs> I just started it, so I, right now I have like sexy Kylo Ren and sexy Boba Fett. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're fun. Now I, I don't mean to get you into trouble, but are there any copyright concerns with any of these? Real? I don't really feel it is because it's like um, it's like mostly it's fan art, um, and I'm not making like thousands of dollars off of it. I'm just making like a couple here and there, but it's it's mostly like I. I just make them just to make them. I've never gotten any trouble from it, which uh, I hope I don't. <laughs> if it is, it won't be because I turned you in. Trust me. <laughs> uh, you're not also on DeviantArt, are you? Uh, I am. Okay. 
Ah, there you are, Stephen Dash H Dash Garcia at DeviantArt.com. Yeah, I keep wanting to change the take the dashes out. <laughs> yeah, that might not be a bad idea. Just be consistent with everything else. Yeah, I think I made I made that uh that page a long time ago before I started like making everything the same. Yeah, but you've done a good job keeping it updated. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So cool. We've been talking about your art for a little bit more than a half an hour now. I want to talk about another recent venture that you embarked upon, which is the Game On podcast. Yes, it's so fun. <laughs> I love it. So this is an audio podcast that is, is it, it's around episode 21 right now. Is it weekly? It's bi-weekly. Okay, so just like this podcast, got it. And how many other people are you collaborating with on the Game On podcast? Uh, two other guys, um, Mark and Adam. Uh, the whole Game On podcast came from uh, Adam wanted to start a game on like a gaming podcast from a career point of view, um, and him and Mark were really good friends, so they wanted to do that. But then Mark knew how much I love games, and then so they brought me into the mix, and then so we we all became like a little Game On family and started making these every two weeks, um, and it's pretty cool. Like uh, beforehand, I didn't even know Adam, and now we're pretty good friends. That is one of the best experiences I've had with podcasting was that it definitely introduces you to a lot of awesome people. Yeah, it, it's been great. And we've had a couple like uh, guests come on to like um, speak their like uh, specialties on which part of gamings they play. Um, it's been really cool. It's great because like all three of us play different styles of gaming. And so it's cool to explain to each other like what we do from from our point of view. So there are other podcasts with similar points of view. For example, there used to be one called The Gay Gods of Gaming, which unfortunately hasn't been updated since July of 2014. There's one called Game Bar. What is it that sets Game On apart? Well, you know what's funny is like when I started to do the podcast, I didn't really listen to podcasts. I've always listened to everything through YouTube. Um, so now I'm kind of finding these other groups out there that, that kind of have the, the career twist to it. And but I've had a hard time finding them, and I think we're we're trying to have ours to be on as many platforms as we can at one time. Like you know, like we're one episode is going to be on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, and YouTube, and whatever we could get it on and SoundCloud. So we're trying to make it so you could find it on whatever you listen to. And I've had a hard time finding other people's podcasts because they don't always have them available on other platforms. I think a lot of people assume that iTunes is to podcasts what Kindle is to ebooks, where if you just hit that one market, then you have 90% of the penetration that you need. But that's not always the case, as you're finding out. Yeah. We found that our, most of our listeners come from Stitcher. And like, like, I don't even have like a, I, I don't even use iTunes or have an iPhone. I do everything through Android and PC. The whole iTunes thing is like out the window for me. <laughs> that's really interesting. I know there are some third-party apps that aren't iTunes, but they draw upon the iTunes directory. Like, for example, Overcast is my podcatcher of choice, and it doesn't have its own podcast directory. It draws from other sources. I don't know if it's necessarily iTunes or Stitcher, but as far as Stitcher directly goes, I have many friends who are podcasters in the retro computing community, and they have had the same experience as me where they're on Stitcher because it's a one-time submission process and it doesn't cost them anything, but they get zero listeners out of it because Stitcher tells you how many people are listening, and every week the number is zero, which is not the number we're getting from iTunes. Oh, weird. Yeah, I don't know if maybe your podcast just appeals... I mean, it obviously does appeal to a different market from retro computing, but I don't know why one community would use Stitcher more than another does. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I know I use Stitcher because um, that's what I use on my Android phone <laughs> as far as podcasting. But yeah, it's it's very interesting to see what people listen to. Because um, I was asking people at Game On, like, oh, if you listen to my show, what do you listen to it on? And it was like Stitcher, 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 iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. <laughs> and now you have a YouTube edition too. Yeah, so I, I just started uh, doing the the matching images to go with our our podcast, our audio podcast. So that's been pretty fun. Um, I'm actually uh, editing the, the newest episode right now. And those images, do you put them in the audio edition? Because I'm pretty sure MP4 or M4A files support images, like smart podcasts or whatever. Um, I don't know. That's new to me. I'm still trying to figure this all out. I, this is going to be my third YouTube version that I made. Yeah, I, I I don't know because like I on Stitcher and all those other things that uh, they don't have images when you listen to the podcast. I know I'll have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I should look into that too. But as as you are finding out, creating a visual component to go with an audio podcast significantly increases the production time. Oh yeah, uh, for me it's like a whole other day of just doing the, the editing part of it. Um, Adam does the the audio part, and then I do the visuals part. And what program are you doing that in? Final Cut Pro? Um, actually, got I found a free program um, online, and it's been pretty good. Uh, I forgot what it's called, though. <laughs> it's like VideoPad Professional or something like that. Okay, if you think of it, send me a note. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it, it was a free program, and it's it's been doing pretty good so far. <laughs> So other than the general strategy of blasting your content out to as many platforms as possible, what is the motivation behind doing a YouTube version? Because there used to be a YouTube version of this podcast that you're on right now, and not only did it make it much harder to produce, as we just discussed, but I found that most people prefer the audio edition because it doesn't require that they stare at the screen for hours. It frees them up to do other things while they're listening, like go for a jog or drive to work. So... A video podcast. What's the theory behind that? Um, it's just for me. It's just another thing to watch on YouTube. Like, like I said before, I didn't really listen to podcasts before I started making them, so I, I listen to everything on YouTube. Um, and it's just like another like way to view it, like with the matching visuals, because like some of the stuff that we talk about, we talk about like after we've had a couple drinks, so it's pretty funny to listen to. <laughs> I'm sure it's fun to listen to, but what visuals do you put with that? Like if we're at some like party or something, I'll 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 put a picture of like the party, you know, like of what we're talking about. Um, like we had a whole like Nintendo Wii uh a Wii U episode, so all like the characters from the games that are coming up, and then the consoles and stuff. Uh, most of our most of our episodes are very PlayStation heavy, so we we ventured out into other consoles for other episodes so we try to match up the images to go with that so you know what we're talking about and what is it that you generally talk about do you have any set segments the show i listened to was mostly the news of that week and what you guys have been playing yeah we always talk about what we we are playing and what's the news is like after what we've been playing and then we always end it with, with what leveled us up like what what in our life has made us happier or has made us a better person type of thing so that's how we always end our episodes. Well, that sounds very optimistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we'll have a level down on like what pisses us off this week, but most of the time it's like we try to level up. Oh, that's pretty awesome because one of the things I mentioned on 
my podcasting panel at GX3 was that when you're constantly focusing on, for example, issues of equality and diversity, it's very easy to get discouraged by the slow progress that those fields are making in games. So, you know, but games are here because they make us happy and they're supposed to be fun. Yeah. And we, we always talk about like how, how much we love our games and, it's great when certain companies add in the whole options to be gay or they have a gay character or whatnot. Like, um, we had an episode where we talked about our favorite trans characters in video games. And that was fun to research to see like what companies had what in their games. I'm sorry. Did you say trans? Oh, that's right. I was listening to that episode. I think you were talking about the character from final fight poison. Yeah. And she's in street fighter. Uh, and she's awesome in street fighter, (laughs) which street fighter is she in? Uh, Street Fighter 4? Uh, Street Fighter 4? You know, I think like the second to last version that they put out. Okay, because I remember you were talking about that on the podcast, and I was thinking Street Fighter. No, she's from Final Fight, but I just haven't played as many Street Fighters as you have. Yeah, well, I love fighting games, so I got really excited when she was in there. <laughs> and, of course, there's Birdo. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Brianna Wu, who was at GamerX, wrote an article about uh, Samus from Metroid being transgender. Really? It depends on your interpretation of certain text. Uh, I don't think Brianna's interpretation is necessarily canon, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. That sounds cool, though. That's I've never even thought about that, but that's a, that sounds cool. <laughs> it certainly plays off the fact that in the very first game, they purposely want you to think she's a guy, and the manual refers to her as a guy, so there's definitely that. So we've been talking about your art. We've been talking about the Game On podcast. Is there anything else you want to chat about? I think that's it. We're we're working really hard on producing more Game On uh, material. We're going to start doing like um, we call sub sub quests, where we we play a game and talk about it really fast, like a five, little five minute episodes for like YouTube. We're going to start producing some of those um, and some other fun stuff to go with it. That's that's about it, though. <laughs> Yeah, YouTube is an awesome medium. It's where I've had most of my success. I have more people watching my YouTube videos than, unfortunately, listening to these audio podcasts. And I feel like there's so much more opportunity to do something with it, but it's also so time-intensive to do it well. Yeah, that that's another thing is trying to like juggle a bunch of projects and staying on your schedule. Yeah, it's it's challenging. That's been a challenge, but uh, I I've been pretty good about getting everything done when needs to get done kudos to you so remind us where we can find let's start with the podcast where can we find the podcast online besides you know everywhere (laughs) so our website is gameonpodcast.com and then we are also uh game on podcast on itunes stitcher uh youtube um soundcloud uh everything actually comes from soundcloud and it branches out into the other the other formats and that's game with a Y, G-A-Y-M-E, right? Yes. And you have your own Twitter at GameOn, no podcast, just G-A-Y-M-E-O-N. Yeah. And what about your own work, Stephen? Stephen H. Garcia pretty much everywhere? Yeah. Uh, so StephenHGarcia.com. Uh, if you're on Facebook, it's artwork of Stephen H. Garcia. And then Stephen H. Garcia by itself is just my normal Facebook page. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot, so... You'll see the the newest stuff on Instagram first. And, of course, if you really want to see your work before anybody else, is that exclusive to your Patreon backers? Yes. Well, the Patreon backers get um, 
certain images that are more X-rated. Like uh, I have one that's like the sexy Mario, and then the Patreon one is uh, a bit more revealing. So this is sort of like the curtain in the back of the video store. Yeah, <laughs> you got to pay so for that. Yeah, and uh, but I'm gonna be adding in uh, more exclusive art onto there too. Um, once I start getting more free time. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun uh, way to distribute your art. Um, and I do a lot of like um, depending on like what level you're at. I do like a monthly raffles um, for prints. Uh, if you go even higher, there's one to like win a raffle to win like free original artwork um, from your request. Wow, that sounds like an awesome incentive. Yeah, that, that's a that's a fun one. <laughs> cool. I'll have to check that out. Again, there will be links to all this in the show notes. So, Stephen, it was wonderful to meet you at GX3. I hope our paths cross again, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of your art. I bought your calendar for one of my friends who was on this podcast a year ago this month and i mailed it to him with a note saying please shoot an unboxing video i want to see your reaction oh my god that'd be awesome (laughs) i don't know if he will but i really hope he does oh man that'd be great (laughs) i think it'll be his favorite christmas gift it's all just waiting for him to unwrap i would love to see that too (laughs) (laughs) if it happens i will be sure to let you know Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Anytime. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.